Hello and welcome to the Kalamazoo Church of Christ podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're a startup church we just planted in September 2020. And at the Kalamazoo Church, we believe that Christianity is done best when it is done together. And so if you live in the Kalamazoo area, we would love to connect. Be it coming to a Sunday service, one of our small groups, or even just grabbing coffee with a member to learn more. You can visit kalamazoo.church in order to do that. We pray that you are inspired by what you hear today. Preach man. All right. So good to be here um, in Kalamazoo. Let me get a look at this church planting. Oh, man, this mission team. This is awesome. Um, this church planting has brought so many Christians in Michigan joy. Um, I grew up in the Detroit church um, and attended my first service there in, back in 1989. Um, we were singing that Young Folks Walk, and I used to always identify with that part of the song, but now I'm on the other side. Um, the old folks singing with the angel band, that's good too. Um, it's all good, but um, yeah, and so, and I've been uh, in, uh, in Lansing, uh, helping build the church there from a satellite ministry from the Detroit church to the church that it is today, um, and, uh, but Christians in Michigan have been talking about this planting uh, in Kalamazoo for decades, dreaming about getting to Kalamazoo, and so I'm sure you probably don't feel like this day today, uh, but this group is a dream come true. You are a dream come true uh, for the disciples of Michigan, and so, uh, and, and Kalamazoo itself is awesome. Beth and I love Kalamazoo. Uh, we come and just get out of town and hang out in Kalamazoo sometimes, so, um, but uh, I think uh, it's, it's been really awesome getting to know Jaron and Bianca over the past year or so, and um, I don't think you could have a better couple leading this church planting. I hope you believe that. I'm sure you do. They're so great. Um, and I think that in, in Jaron, he's really got the perfect, it's rare, but perfect mix of humility and wisdom. And you got to have both, right? Um, if you got like the most humble guy ever who's just always messing up, but there's no wisdom, you're like, okay, humility is only going to get you so far. We need some wisdom. And, uh, and he's got that uh, so much too. So... Uh, what, a, what a great guy. And even more importantly, he has Bianca. So that's, that's the important thing, right? Um, this is uh, my family. There's, there's uh, Beth and I think they were bacon or something. And, uh, but that's my uh, 13-year-old um, who we'll be writing checks for basketball soon for. She's six feet tall. And, um, and then that's Amelia, my nine-year-old. She just turned nine last week, actually. And they're crazy and fun and awesome. So, um, all right, we're going to talk about the parable of the tenants today. You want to turn to uh, Luke chapter 20, and I'm just going to walk through this parable with you guys. This is um, my favorite parable. Uh, I think that it is the greatest parable in the whole Bible. That's my opinion. Um, you guys are doing a series on parables, right? And uh, I don't know if you have realized, since you are a church planting, how many of the parables are about planting. Uh, so many of them. And so that's a great place. It's a great series. Uh, for you guys to have as as a mission team and church planting. So uh, Luke chapter 20, we'll get there in a second. But first of all, what if I asked you to tell me a story that had the entire Bible in it? How long do you think it would take you to tell such a story? The whole Tell me, tell me the story of the whole Bible, please. Um, that, that sounds like a big deal, right? How many pages? 
would it take? I mean, our Bibles have thousands of pages, right? Um, how many words, how many sentences? Do you think, what if I said, tell the story of the whole Bible in one page? How hard would that be, right? In the parable of the tenants that we're about to read, Jesus tells the whole story of the Bible, the Old Testament, his life and his death before he even dies, and the story of the church that's going to follow his life, and he does it all in 14 sentences. It's divine. It's really amazing. And so let's read this together. See if you can find the story of the Bible in this. Uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 9. It says, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. All right, so let's walk through this parable together. It begins with planting, God planting. And he plants a vineyard. This parable is also in Matthew and Mark. And both of those versions add a little bit of detail to the parable. Uh, they say that God not only builds, plants a vineyard, but he also builds a wall, a wine press, and a watchtower. Okay? And so this, what this shows us is right from the beginning, and I mean the very beginning when God created everything, it was, it's not random. Creation is not an accident. You being here, this is not an accident or something random that just happened. Okay? When scientists look at the universe, and I love science so much, when they explain things with universal equations, that la they're like, the, the universe runs on math. That doesn't happen by accident. They, even if they don't believe in God, they are, they're struggling to not believe in God because it, everything works. It's so amazing. And Jesus begins this parable by, in, a, in the most art, artful, poetic, beautiful way, saying, God planted a vineyard. Isn't it cool that we're alive in God's vineyard? That's so awesome. But God didn't just create the world. He also, right away in the Old Testament, he creates a special people in the world. Um, and, and that is the people of Israel. And that, I think, is the, it's the watchtower, the wine press, the wall. God's like, I'm going to call these special people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect them. If they follow me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use them to show the whole world how awesome it is, how amazing the sweet, sweet wine can be if you follow me. And that's what the people of Israel, Israel are. 
He didn't do this to, to play favorites, but he did this so, he, so that they could show the world how to produce fruit for God. Okay? Because that's what a vineyard does, right? A vineyard makes grapes to hopefully produce really good wine. And it's cool that it's a vineyard, because aren't you glad Jesus isn't like, God planted a radish farm. And we're all radish farmers, right? Uh, my dad uh, grew up in Ohio next to this town called McClure, Ohio, which was, is famous, I guess, for being the radish capital of the world. How, you know, like you drive into town, it's got the sign, McClure, Ohio, radish capital of the world, radish festival. Can you imagine going to the radish festival or being the radish queen? Uh, <laughs> Man, um, no, it's not, it's not a radish farm. This is a vineyard. As messed up as the news might be, we're living in God's vineyard. That's so awesome, okay? Um, a vineyard creates something wonderful, enjoyable, lovely. And that's exactly what God wants his people to do. Since we're not here at random, we're here with a purpose. That purpose is to produce something awesome for God, okay? So my first question that I have for you um, is, what are you producing for God? And I don't mean this in like a factory sense, like, you, yeah, we've got to get the production value up here um, or anything like that, okay? But what, what is your life producing for God? You know, when God sends his messengers, which, which you read through the Old Testament, after God chooses this special people, the watchtower, wall, um, he sends messengers that the people get off track and he sends prophet after prophet. But then Israel sends the prophets away empty-handed. They beat them. They even kill them. And so Jesus is telling their story. Isn't that, it's like the cutest little story, but they're, they're like the whole time dying inside, like he's talking about us. Uh, and so, uh, but, but he sends these messengers to remind, he's like, hey, we're, you're supposed to be producing something awesome with your life. But they go away empty-handed. Is God, is God going away empty-handed when he comes to you? Hey, what, what, are you, what are you building? What are you producing with your life? I hope we're not sending God away sad. You know, there are a lot of ways to produce fruit. Anytime you're growing spiritually, and this is a great springtime message because when you leave here, you can see the magnolias are starting to bloom. The cherry blossoms are, are popping. It's awesome right now, okay? Spring has sprung. Um, and a little early, I think, which is super great. Um, you know, there, anytime you're, you're growing spiritually, you're, you're, you're gaining more of those fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, perseverance, self-control. I missed a couple in there. There's nine of them. Um, but it's the, it's the most amazing fruit you can produce with your life. You're filling up a basket with the fruits of the Spirit, and you're fulfilling your purpose in life just to grow and produce something awesome. We're not just here with no purpose. We exist to produce good things for God. Um, on a church planting, on a mission team, um, and just as disciples in general, I think, uh, but there's, there's an extra special kind of fruit that God allows us to produce, that we, we work with God, He works through us, and that's the fruit of helping someone to be saved. Okay? Uh, and that's some sweet, sweet fruit right there. The, the honor of meeting somebody that the Holy Spirit has made open uh, and then walking through the scriptures with them, helping them get to the waters of baptism, it's so incredible. It's such a great thing. 
And we get to be a part of that mission as we're here, as, as we're farmers and renters in this vineyard, okay? Isn't that awesome? And so I know, I know you guys are sharing your faith and, and you're working on the mission. And I just, I hope that this encourages you to know that when you get out there and share your faith, when you share your faith at the store, when you go on campus, when you're doing a Bible study as part of this mission team, it's so much bigger than that. You're actually participating in the harvest that even Israel failed to participate in. You're doing what you were created to do by helping there to be fruit on the vines. Okay, And I know that God is blessing your efforts and will continue to do that. Here's the thing. God is really serious about his people bearing fruit. As the Old Testament continues, we see that God's, God's people, as we talked about, they don't act his special people stop acting special. Um, there's not a lot of fruit in Israel. There's not a lot of peace, patience, love, kindness. Uh, there's not a lot of people who look at Israel and we're like, I want to be like that. So God sends prophets. He sends good kings. He sends spiritual women. But what does Israel do? They beat them, treat them shamefully, wound them, cast them out. The prophets are left empty-handed. And so then, this is, but this is the plan that God's had from the beginning. He's like, I know. I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. And that's where this parable like gets meta crazy here, right? Like Jesus is like telling the story. Oh, it's the Old Testament. Wait, who's this son? It's, G- it's the guy who's telling the story. What? He inserts himself into the story. And so if you're following along with the Bible, we're in the Gospels now. It's here. And he tells how God sent his beloved son. That's mind-blowing. But there's more. He actually adds this little detail. He tells them that the son is going to be killed and thrown out of the vineyard. Okay? Um, The son is going to be killed and thrown out out of the vineyard. This is so crazy. So I've been I've been to Israel. And there are two spots where they think are the possible locations of Golgotha, where Jesus is crucified. Um, both of them were outside of the city walls at the time. And so Jesus isn't just saying that they're going to kill the son, but he's saying they're going to kill the son, but this is what God's actually doing. The location matters because they would take a sacrifice from the temple and they would throw it out of the city. And so Jesus is saying, you might, you might think you're killing me because you're mad at me, or I'm one of those messengers that God sent. But I'm, what, God, what God is doing in this death, what we're going to celebrate as we take communion in a moment, is, is this is a sacrifice. This is a sacrifice for your sins. You're treating the son like a sacrifice at the temple, and the son is actually okay with that. That's the plan. Okay? Um, all right, so in all three versions of this parable, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the tenants say, when the, when the son comes, instead of saying, it's the son. Oh my goodness, we need, to, we, we need to respect the son. In all three versions, they say, this is the heir. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. What a revealing sentence of, about our hearts as humans. You know, this, this is the great temptation that we have in our lives, isn't it? Will we produce fruit for God 
Will we have something for him? Or will we produce fruit for ourselves? Which usually involves taking something from someone else so that we can have even more. It's really a silly question, actually. Will we produce for God or for ourselves? Because, and this, you know, this is this is how life works. We are tenants. We're renters. We don't own anything. You can't actually produce anything for yourself that you get to keep. Nothing goes with us. You know, one of the, the pieces of the American dream, and maybe this is not your dream, um, is to be a homeowner. And I don't, I'm not here to inspire homeownership, but amen if that's what you want to do. Uh, but, you know, you know the thing, when you, when you rent, you don't get any equity. Um, you're just paying for shelter, which is important, amen? Uh, but when, you, when you're an owner, it's yours, right? You build wealth with each payment. You build equity. Um, but you also get all of the problems. If something goes wrong with it, those are your problems. You can't call the landlord. You're the landlord, right? And so this parable, even the very title of this parable, is that it's, what Jesus is saying is we never become the owners, Okay, that might be the American dream to own a house. God's dream and his plan, it's never for you to have self-rule, to completely own your life, okay? God will always be our landlord. There's nothing worth holding on to this side of eternity. And so let's bear fruit that will last forever instead of building up our own empires, okay? This is a convicting truth, but it's even more convicting for Jesus' audience here because he's talking to the Jewish leaders. He's talking to the landowners of Israel, and they really cared about this is our land. They were really mad that the Romans were there. They really wanted a Messiah that would kick the Romans out. They wanted their land back. But Jesus said, no, 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 you're just renters. That, that had to kill them to hear that, okay? And he says, at the end, he asks this question. He says, what will the landowner do to these people who killed the son? And, they, and he says, he'll find, new, he'll find new renters. And that's the rest of the New Testament. Isn't the story of Acts how God, you know, the special people of Israel became Jesus' people? We're the special people now, not the people of the land of Israel. Isn't that incredible? The whole Bible in 14 sentences. <laughs> okay? And so, and the response, did you catch the response when he says to the Jewish leaders that he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others? They say, surely not. It's like the worst thing Jesus could have ever said. They're like, no way. 70 AD, the temple gets destroyed, not one stone stayed on another. It happened, okay? Um, Jesus isn't done, though. There's, there's two more things at the end of this parable that I want to focus in on as we close out before we take communion here, okay? There's a little more red letter that we need to get to if you've got a red letter Bible. And it's like there's a, there's a jab and there's a knockout punch, okay? So let's get into these. I'm going to reread it. We read them, but um, just to focus in on starting in verse 17. It says, but he looked directly at them. They say, they say, surely not. 
but he looked directly at them. Can you imagine what that look must have been? Okay, they're like so offended. Actually, in verse 19, it says they want to lay hands on him and not like lay hands on him in a religious like healing way. They want to punch him in the face and murder him on the spot for what he said. But then he, they say he looks right at him. Oh, I would not want to be on that side of that look right there. Oh, my goodness. Okay. He looks right at him and he says, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And then they're like, this guy needs to die. Okay? So he, he stares at them, and then he quotes, this quote is from Psalm 118. You guys know what a messianic psalm is, um, I'm sure, but it's, what it is, if you don't know, is there are a handful of psalms, there's lots of, 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 of verses in the psalms that, that talk about the Savior that's going to come, but there are a handful of psalms that they're like, this whole thing is about Jesus, okay? And it, and it, and it was messianic before the Messiah, like they use these psalms to see, is this person who's claiming to be the Messiah really the Messiah? And Psalm 118 is one of those. It says things like, and you guys can check it out, and if you read Psalm 118, think about Jesus as you read it. But it says things like, I shall not die, but I shall live. Does that remind you of anything that maybe happened last weekend that the whole world celebrated Easter, right? He has not given me over to death. You have become my salvation. And the Messiah is our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. Um, uh, and so, but then it says this in Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Uh, some of the other versions say that he's become the capstone. And we'll talk about both of these kinds of stones in a moment here. I know you were like, let's get into some geology. Like if we could get some geology this Sunday morning, that'd be great. We'll do it, okay? Um, okay, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to imagine, imagine uh, that you are the foreman four women, four person, of a, an ancient rock quarry. You're like, I have no idea what that would look like. Just picture a bunch of stones on the ground, okay? There, if you need help visualizing, there you go. Okay, imagine that you, uh, you're, you're, the, you're in charge of this quarry. And so I've actually brought some stones as a visual uh, here, okay? So that's, pretty, that's a pretty good looking, looking rock. You ready? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I don't know. I don't trust my arm enough. Uh, and... And so imagine, okay, and, we, and there's, a, there's a verse in First, First Kings uh, when you're reading about the, the temple that got built um, in Israel, that the, the stones for the temple, this is pretty amazing, they were not allowed to use a hammer or a chisel at the site of the temple on Mount Zion. They had to calculate and cut everything and make it perfect at the quarry and then roll the stones miles and miles and miles up to the Temple Mount uh, because it was a holy place. You could have no sound there. And so if you're in charge of this quarry, which we're all imagining right now, you're in charge of a quarry, uh, you got to pick the right rocks, okay? you got to make sure that they're the right fit, okay? So you're walking through this quarry, and you're looking for the perfect stone. Uh, if you, if you, you've probably seen a cornerstone on an old building. A cornerstone is the first stone laid. And it might not seem that important, like, hey, let's get this thing started. Let's put that stone there. But it's so important. And it doesn't seem important right away. You start building other stones. Everything looks fine. It's good. But at the other end of the building, if your cornerstone was off just a little bit, the other end of your building is in the street. 
If it's if it wasn't if it wasn't level, the t- you're, you've got a leaning tower of Pisa situation going on. Okay, it's not gonna it's not gonna be good. You got to pick the right stone to build off. That's the cornerstone. The capstone. I don't know if anybody knows what a capstone is, uh, but it's the top of an arch. I got to see an arch get built like in the ancient way one time. It was so cool. They they maybe you don't think this you're like this is not cool, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. Okay, so they they pile up all of this dirt and they start stacking rocks on the dirt. And then they put that last stone in, and they can push the dirt out, and the, and the arch stays. So strong effect, you know, you go to, you go to Rome, and, and you, they still have the arches. They've lasted thousands of years uh, because of that stone. They picked the perfect stone to go in the top, the capstone. Okay? The first stone laid is the cornerstone. The last stone placed that makes everything strong is the capstone, the first and the last. Who does that sound like? Okay. So let's go to the quarry and figure out what we want to build our lives on. Okay. This, um, the rocks are kind of dirty. Um, okay. This, uh, they're fresh from the field. They're, they're fresh. Okay. Um, the, um, but I, I want you to think about what are you building your life on? And this, I know as a, as a mission team, this, is a, this passage and this conversation, I've had this with many, many people, a lot of college students, like, hey, what are you building your life on? Because, because Jesus, I think, would ask us the same question. What, is this, what does this mean, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And what Jesus is saying is you, he's saying this to the, the religious leaders, but I think he's saying it to each of us, you can build your life on whatever rock you want, okay? You got all the choices before you. Imagine this quarry. You've got, you've, you can pick up, here's a, here's a rock that, that represents pleasure. I'm going to build, I'm going to have the most fun that anyone's ever had in their life. That's what I'm going to build my life on. You know what? That rock is there. You can do it. Money, like I'm, I'm going to build my life on money. I want to make sure I've got that check for my daughter's basketball, my son's basketball, like Jaren's dad had. All that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to build it on money. There's a, there's a rock for every single religion in the whole world. There's a rock for every ideology that a person could have. And you can decide, that's going to be my stone. You can build your rock on some relationship, some other person. And I think relationships, those, those rocks, it's so good for support. We need that. But you can't build a stable life off of another person. And then I think we've all got these rocks in our head that are, and I got a lot of rocks in my head. That's what my wife says all the time. And she's right. Uh, uh, I started listening, though. It's good. Oh, yeah. Um, they shake. It makes a noise. Uh, but we've got our own ideas of what's right and wrong. And, and do you, is it really good for us to trust our ideas of right and wrong? Or maybe we should get another rock that, that's got that a little better, right? And so what Jesus is saying here to Israel and, and, and what I want you to hear is it's, it, it, what Israel did is Israel had, they picked it up. This is the Jesus, let's say this is the Jesus stone. You want to build a perfect life. Not easy. We'll get to that in a second. That's, that's, this is the jab. The punch is coming, okay? You want to build a perfect life. And he's saying, you leaders of Israel, you've got the rock in your hands. Toss it away. You can just toss it away. Will you choose Jesus as your first and your last, as a tenant 
on this earth, you've got free will, but will you choose Jesus? The choice is there before you. Okay? I know you want to say yes, okay? but there's something you need to know about choosing Jesus. And Jesus tells us in the next line that there's something you need to know. I love this because Jesus shoots straight. All right, you ready for the, for the knockout punch here? Here we go. Um, they, after he says this, they want to kill him on the spot. He says, everyone who falls on that stone, like you're gonna, if you're going to choose the rock, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. That, uh, that's not like a super motivational ending to a message. It's not like inspiring. Rah, rah. We're going to get, we'll, we'll, we'll get there though, okay? Um, that's it. That's the, and he just walks off, right? Um, that's, that's Jesus right there. That's amazing, okay? Um, but it's, what I love about Jesus though is it's honest. What does it really look like to follow Jesus? To, you say, I want, yeah, yeah, Jesus is going to be my rock. I'm not going to reject the cornerstone. What does that look like? To pick Jesus, to have, to decide, I'm going to live a fruitful life for God and not a selfish life for myself. Have you ever stubbed your toe? This is just the worst. Like we're Christian people here, right? But like the closest you get to swearing probably is you stub. It's like it goes up your body. <laughs> it's so bad, right? It's so bad. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, a lot of times it's like that, only worse. Okay. It feels like, and that's what it says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Following Jesus feels like falling down and getting broken to pieces. Any takers? We get? I think you, I, we all will. I know we will, okay? You think, you think, no, following Jesus is the easiest way. It's the most fun or the funnest. I don't know which one of those is the right way to say that word. It's so great. But no, I bet, and I bet, for those of you on this mission team, this church plant, for those of you who are studying the Bible, you, can, you know what Jesus means when he says it feels like falling down and getting broken to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. When you decide to follow him, you say, this is going to be my rock, you get broken up. You get humble. It hurts sometimes. Bearing fruit for God is a journey. And so maybe you felt broken or you've wondered uh, if you're doing the right thing because we have these false expectations that it's, this is the easy way. It hurts to fall down. I've, I was on a run in the woods last week, and I've, I had one of those forever falls. Like I hit, I, I hit my toe on a root, and I was just like falling like this. It felt, it felt like I went like 50 feet, and eventually I just had to decide to bail. Like it, I wasn't going to recover and pull out of this. I, I got I to gotta bail. And then I just sat there under a tree like, how does this happen? How does, a, how does an adult fall down? Uh, what is happening here? I just sat there sad. Uh, here's the thing, though. It's okay to fall down at the feet of Jesus. It's okay to get broken up a little. In fact, that's the humble life of a disciple. We want that. We want to get broken up. Because there's an alternative. <laughs> and it's not a good one. If we're not willing to fall down, and get broken up, then the stone falls on us. And instead of getting broken, we get crushed. There's no coming back from that. <laughs> right? Kalamazoo Church of Christ, you're on the front lines 
of God's plan for our world that he's had since the very beginning. That's what this story tells us. You're out there helping people fall down and get broken up by Jesus so they won't rule and ruin their own lives with some other stone. You're helping people not get crushed. That's a big job. That's a lot to carry. But this is what's so awesome about being on a planting, being on a mission team, is it's a team. It's not a vineyard with one person trying to figure out how to make all these grapes grow and turn it into wine. You guys are doing it together. And I, and I hope you feel that. I know you feel that. And so I want to close out uh, with a team-building visual. Don't we love team-building exercises? Let's do this thing, okay? Um, and so, Megan, can you come up for me here? Okay, so I brought this, I brought this, this thing of rocks here. And I'm going to move it here. I, it's very heavy. Okay. And I would like to ask you to, to pick that up. Can you do it? Use the, you can use the handle. Use the handle. Let's see. She looks really strong. <laughs> she looks strong. It's, it, oh, it got off. It got off. Okay. Oh, yeah. Good job. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think she could probably do it. She's just acting. Yeah. That, that was like in, in Star Wars where the rocks start to come up just a little bit. You can have a seat. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Here's the point of this. You're like, why is she picking up a bucket of stones? Um, no one, none, none of us, none of you are strong enough to carry the load yourselves. Okay? We can't, you can't lead people to the rock all on your own. It's, it looks like that. Like, ah, what, what are we doing here? If you start to feel like that on a mission team, you, you forgot you're on a team. Okay? You got to get the team involved. All right? But what if, and this is what I want you to do as you leave church today, we'll, put, we'll, we'll have a, a team of people carry the bucket over. What if everybody takes one stone? And I've got some big ones in here. I've got some kid-sized ones. So every, the kids can have one. Everybody can have a rock. Everyone gets a dirty rock today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, yeah, uh, you, you can lift this bucket easily, right? It's not hard if everybody takes one stone, Right? And I want you just to take it with you. We did this in Lansing a while ago, and I've still got my rock um, uh, on my bookshelf. And what I want you to do is, is I want you to take this stone, put it somewhere where you have your quiet time, where you pray. Um, and I want you, when you see it, I want you to think about each other. Think about how much you can carry when you're all working together with God as your rock. You might be a small group right now, I know uh, there, at, when I, there have been times in Lansing where the Lansing Church was smaller than this by far. Like I'm preaching to like three people. Um, and, uh, but, but God can do such big things because there's, there's a formerly broken down brother or sister nearby that's chosen to have Jesus as, as his or her capstone and cornerstone too. And there's a whole city that needs the opportunity to pick up Jesus to see that stone, to study the Bible. That's the examination process. Is this really going to fit my life or really can I, can, can I make my life fit into Jesus' plan? And that's what you're doing. And yes, yes, there's a whole city, but there's this team. And you guys are working together to do that. I'm going to take a stone too so I can keep praying for the work that you guys are doing and what God's doing in Kalamazoo. And I want to encourage you, it goes with the scripture that, uh, that, that uh, Jaron shared at the beginning. Um, He's going to set you on the rock. He's going to make your feet strong. You're on, you're on a stone. Um, and, and, uh, and I believe that for this church. 
Um, you're never alone. It's a hard mission. It's a heavy load to carry. But together, you got this. Let's, let's have God be our rock. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll take communion. Uh, Lord, uh, God, you are our rock. Um, and uh, and <laughs> sometimes we fall down on you, and it hurts, uh, and we get broken up. But, but we think about uh, Jesus and his death at, at Golgotha, uh, the, the place of the, of the skull, this place of rocks that looked like a skull that had uh, a cross on top of it. And he, uh, he was sacrificed outside of the city because we want to rule our own lives instead of falling on that rock. And God, I pray um, that, that we could be the part of this story. We could be the new tenants uh, that you've chosen, uh, that we could go out and, and help people make the biggest decision of their lives, but the best decision, a painful decision um, where we have to count the cost, uh, but the best decision to make your son not our enemy, not an opportunity to have self-rule, but to make him the Lord of our lives. You're our rock, God. Um, you are so strong. You, uh, you really are in control. And I pray uh, just for this church planting, this mission team, uh, that you would help it to be so strong, that they could be united, that any division uh, could be out, that, uh, that your spirit could inspire uh, this group and that this group could inspire uh, Kalamazoo uh, thank you so much for this church. Thanks for this time we got to spend together. And mostly, God, we thank you for the body and the blood that was shed. That was your plan, uh, that we would reject you, but that you would save us, even in that terrible action. We praise you for that as we remember you in communion now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Kalamazoo Church of Christ podcast. If you're in the Kalamazoo area, we'd love to get connected. Please go to kalamazoo.church and fill in your information to come to a Sunday service or any other event that we have going on. In any case, you'll be hearing from us next week. Too busy saving souls.